Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined as always by my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, the Packers have reached their bye week and like a really good cleanup hitter in baseball, they're four for four. Green Bay is four and oh after four games and in sole possession of first place in the NFC North one quarter of the way through the 2020 season. Yeah, it's funny, Mike, if you go back and look at how this has sort of played out for the Packers, uh, certainly there's been some injuries that they've had to weather and unfortunately a few guys that they've lost for the extended run here. But other than that, not much else has gone wrong for the Packers during this four game start to the season. I mean, offensively, right now, one of the most prolific and potent offenses in the National Football League. Certainly you look at this game, I, I outlined this on a tweet I had on Monday night. <clears throat> You had Devontae Adams week one, then it was Aaron Jones, then it was Alan Lazard, and then lo and behold, week four, it turns out to be Robert Tanyan, three touchdown catches, only the third time that that's happened since 1950 uh, with the Packers tight end in a single game. It's just been one thing after another, but at the core of this, I'll put it out there, Mike, I mean, it's been some exceptional game calling, play calling, and game planning from Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff. And Aaron Rodgers just being brilliant. I mean, now 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions uh, on pace for uh, really, I, I hate to even put it this way right now, but, you know, a career-type season. I mean, he has been playing lights-out football in the first four games of the year, and the Packers have really followed suit. Well, I remember saying last week after the victory in New Orleans that if you had told me the Packers were going to be without Devontae Adams, were not going to rush for 100 yards – and they were going to score 37 points against the Saints and leave the Superdome with a victory, I would have said, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Well, so what happens this week? No Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard, no Mercedes Lewis either. He misses the game with an injury. And yet Aaron Rodgers throws four touchdown passes, only six incomplete passes, and has a 145.7 passer rating. And you just, you kind of go, how... How is he doing this? How are they doing this? It just doesn't, it doesn't fit the, the norm, the narrative that you think would occur with what the Packers have been dealing with. And yet here they are, another 30-point performance. Easily could have been 37 if you're not yeah. stopped on fourth and goal at the one. And, uh, um, and the Packers offense is just, is just in almost in a league of its own right now. Yeah, and it's funny too, Mike, if you go and actually – break it down like this, the Packers, in terms of just passing to the running backs and tight ends, Rodgers was a perfect 20 for 20 in this game, <laughs> three touchdown passes. Uh, it's quite remarkable uh, the way he's been able to orchestrate this thing. Somebody in the insider inbox asked me as I'm preparing at the time in which we're taping this uh, for Wednesday's edition, somebody asked me about what has impressed me the most through the first four games of this season. And really it keeps coming back to the overall offensive efficiency and also, Mike, just how well they've performed in four-minute situations. Uh, you and I can talk about how they're right now, I think, fifth in the league and third downs uh, conversions. But that's not just always being in good positions. It's also picking up some third and longs, too, that at times uh, that's been a real difficulty for the Packers over the years, going back to Mike McCarthy's time here as well. And they're doing it. And I think they might have either one or none, uh, when you know, three and outs to this point of this season. It just seems like every time – that Aaron Rodgers lines up, there is a feeling that they're going to be able to push the ball downfield. It was funny listening to Matt LaFleur after the game on Monday night say, yeah, for as much praise as I got a week before for the flow and the play calling, I didn't really feel like I was in a flow. 
well, that not quite feeling like he was in a flow still ended up being a really solid offensive performance and, and certainly a, a dominating win. I mean, this was a defining victory. It looked like a 3-0 and team, even missing Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark and whatnot, still looked like a 3-0 and team, you know, dismantling and deconstructing a team that is still yet to win this season. Yeah, I mean, you can take your pick as far as the statistics with Aaron Rodgers and where he is at the quarter pole of the season here. 13 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, zero turnovers as a whole for the Packers offense. And as Rodgers pointed out after the game, not even a lot of close calls in terms of turnovers. I mean, you've seen it over the years, Wes. You know, I mean, a a bad pass is a, a dropped interception. You know, quarterbacks benefit from that all the time. Rodgers hasn't really had any of those. And on top of that, the Packers haven't even had a fumble actually hit yeah. the ground in the field of play because the only fumble on their on their statistical chart is one by Aaron Jones back in week one right. in Minnesota where the ball flew out of bounds and never really had a chance to be recovered by the defense anyway. So um, what the Packers are doing here offensively, it's incredibly efficient. We talked in the early weeks about how all the moving parts on the offensive line, the Packers weathered those storms. That group has been playing really, really well. Now, they finally had a second straight week with the same starting five, the, the, the same group up front. And it's, and again, it was the same type of performance. And, and another statistic, Aaron Rodgers has only been sacked three times in four games with plenty of dropbacks. And he puts at least two of the three sacks just on himself for not right. being able to get away from pressure situations that he feels he should escape. So um, just a lot of things really falling into place for this Packers offense despite injuries and the Packers are going to have to deal long-term now without Alan Lazard for a while. It sounds like they won't have Josiah DeGuara, the rookie tight end for a while. He has a significant knee injury, but so far, whatever the missing pieces have been, it hasn't mattered. And that's a credit to Aaron Rodgers. It's a credit to all those guys. I think particularly the guys up front with the offensive line and to Matt LaFleur and that offensive coaching staff for the game plans they're putting together week after week. Yeah, and I don't want to just sit here and point towards, you know, certain past offenses or Packers teams and say, well, this is how much better they are now. But you think back to 2015 and when they lost Jordy Nelson, how much the the domino effect that that had on the entire roster, the passing game, the way that they were able to move the ball downfield. And this year, they went two games without Devontae Adams. You had Alan Lazard step up, and then he's gone here for the foreseeable future. But, you know, we've talked time and time again, Mike, about how malleable this offense is. And I thought this game was the ultimate testament to that. Matt LaFleur has had that two running back package in his back pocket for some time now, uh, in addition to all the motioning that they do with Tyler Irvin as a, you know, kind of a hybrid receiver. Uh, they did some plays there with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams in the backfield. And do you know why? Because you're making a case that those are their two top playmakers on offense going into this game. You know, there was a lot of consternation at the end of the first half about, well, where's Aaron Jones in, Jamal Williams had 77 receiving yards. That was the most in a first half uh, by a Packers running back in six years. I mean, you ride with the hot hand. And I think we're so used to saying, well, Aaron Jones is the starter now. You kind of forget about what Williams brings to the table too, coming five yards short of his first 100-yard receiving game in this matchup. And getting back to Tanyan there too, you know, the red zones, Mike, being able to push the ball in. Now, obviously, they had a they came up short on the fourth and goal earlier on. But once they got into the red area there in the second and third quarters, they were hard to stop. And one of the big things, when you think back to these Packers offenses, when they are effective, when they can find a way to get the ball, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tight end, but oftentimes it can be. Find the way to to pass the ball in the red area. Good things are going to happen. 
Tanyan stepped up, 98 receiving yards, three touchdowns. Uh, you know, a, a classic performance, something that, you know, Green Bay, I think, really is wanting to see from the third-year tight end now. And, yeah, it wasn't Adams. It wasn't Lazard. It, it, it had to be somebody else, and, and they found a way to make it happen. A few interesting stats with regard to Robert Tanyan's three-touchdown performance in this game. First, he is the uh, – I'm trying to remember now for certain the third Packers tight end in team history to have three touchdown catches in one game, joining Keith Jackson from 1996 and Jermichael Finley from earlier this decade. And Robert Tanyan also has uh, a touchdown catch in three consecutive games. And he's the first Packers tight end to do that since Jermichael Finley back in 2012. And I'll throw another one at you, Wes. Robert Tanyan now has seven touchdown receptions from Aaron Rodgers that ties him for the lead amongst the undrafted players who have caught touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers. John Kuhn also had seven, not including playoffs. We'll see. Maybe Robert Tanyan has some playoff touchdown receptions in his future as well. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but that being said, um, before we shift gears to the defense, a little bit of sponsor business, Sirius XM NFL radio channel 88 is the only radio outlet dedicated to the National Football League seven days a week, 365 days a year. Okay, Wes, defensive side of the ball. I'm writing about this this week for our website. This Packers defense has gone through its ups and downs through the first four games. I think there wasn't, it, it wasn't the pinnacle. It wasn't the perfect performance by any means against the Atlanta Falcons, but I think we saw a much steadier defensive performance on Monday night than we had seen previously. You start out with a couple of three and outs. You don't allow the Falcons into the end zone until the second half. You you have a big stand in the red zone after a long drive to hold the Falcons to a field goal. You stop a potential touchdown drive toward the end that would have made it a one-score game late in the fourth quarter. Those types of pieces, those are the, the elements that we saw from what was a much steadier defense for the Packers in 2019. I think Monday night's performance was starting to get this defense to point in that direction. Well, there were two things I really liked about this performance. One, they came out right away and got three three and outs in the first half. Uh, that that kind of allowed them to get on this run in the, you know, the offense to start finding itself and, you know, finish really strong with those two Robert Tanyan touchdowns in the second quarter. That was really good. But it was also the way they finished in the second half. I mean, Mike, they had a lot of things that started working against them. Now, certainly, you look over on the Atlanta side of things, they weren't able to finish the game with, you know, Julio Jones. But Kevin King goes out with the quad injury. Uh, Shandon Sullivan goes out with the concussion and he gets diagnosed with that's your number two and number three cornerback so they had to get really creative there you saw Raven Green get used in the slot Will Redmond came in the, the dime package basically had four defensive backs I'm sorry four safeties uh, in its defensive backfield out of the six Jair Alexander put together a strong performance they, they were able to maneuver their positions there in the secondary and, and I think you're seeing a unit that's getting more comfortable playing with itself outside of what you would consider maybe the quote-unquote starting 11 uh, so that was a huge positive but at the end of the day you go back to your playmakers and Zadarius Smith he he owned this ball game uh, especially in the second half I mean three sacks you're going to write about it on Packers.com with, with your what, um, you know, what you might have missed. He's affecting plays even when he isn't getting at the quarterback, though. He yeah. finishes the game with a team-high eight tackles. Do you understand how difficult that is to finish the game with – to lead your defense in tackles if you're an outside rusher? 
I mean, th- th- this is what this guy's bringing to the table. Uh, five quarterback hits, four tackles for a loss, and a partridge in a pear tree. Th- this, is, this is really incredible stuff that he's putting together. Five sacks, Mike, through the first four games. That's tied with Miles Garrett for the most in the NFL. The Packers, we were all wondering. The conversation was going into this year. Okay, Zadarius Smith is no longer an unknown commodity. This guy is going to have people, you know, he's going to be in the crosshairs. People are going to be gunning for him. And it really hasn't mattered. I mean, there's a couple penalties that I'm sure that Mike Pettin and Mike Smith want to clean up. But other than that, man, Zedarius Smith is the real deal. Yeah, and Matt LaFleur even said it on Tuesday when he spoke with reporters that, you know, Zedarius Smith is such a leader on the defense. He's, he's got that personality. He's got that energy, everything he brings. For this Packers defense to be playing at its best, Zadarius Smith needs to be that leader, needs to be the that all-pro type guy at the top of his game. And LaFleur said, hey, you know, he's been battling through some stuff just like everybody does. He hasn't necessarily been 100% healthy since the start of the season. So the bye week potentially is going to do him some good as well as several of those other guys that you mentioned, uh, you know, that the Packers are dealing with injury-wise. And hopefully they get Kenny Clark back as well now that he's he's missed three straight games. But um, but yeah, the, the defense just had a different feel to it. It just does have a different, a, a different aura about it when Zadarius Smith is dodging blockers and, and dominating the, the, the way that he was. And I'll throw this in as well, because, you know, we saw some big plays earlier in the season, Alexander getting the sack safety in yeah. Minnesota, Sullivan getting the pick six against the Lions and Zadarius with the big force fumble, uh, you know, on Taysom Hill down in New Orleans. That play in the end zone late in the fourth quarter by Adrian Amos to knock that ball away at the last second from Calvin Ridley and prevent that touchdown on fourth and 10 from about the 25-yard line, that's not necessarily going to make all the big highlight reels at the end end of the season, but that was a whale of a play by the Packers veteran safety. And as I said before, that prevented it from becoming a one-score game. Yeah really for the first time since the early stages of the ball game. Yeah. I mean, it basically slammed the door on, you know, the Falcons and being able to mount any type of comeback. And, you know, certainly they were going through a lot of things and, and mentally just trying to push through what they've had to go through here with some really demoralizing losses. I, I you know, Matt LaFleur said it all a week long. He felt like they were going to get the Falcons best effort in a lot of ways. I think they did. It's just that Atlanta has really been hit hard by the injury bug then you look at that's that the way they finished this game though and in a credit to Adrian Amos I mean those are the type of plays that if you're not just giving that little extra ounce maybe that ball gets through maybe that does become a touchdown reception but it really shows the veteran presence that he provides back there and and if you listen to the way that those guys responded to that play afterwards, you would have thought he intercepted it. I mean, guys were just jacked up. They were excited. It was the type of exclamation point that I think they really wanted to put on this performance because we've seen them come down the stretch where they've been, you know, well ahead. The The decision is not in really jeopardy at all whatsoever. The, the win is in the bag, so to speak. But, you know, you give up some passes here and you give up some yards there and those garbage things that really hurt you in the rankings. Green Bay, for the most part, didn't do that here. They, they kept the foot on the gas pedal, and despite some of the pieces that they were meet, missing defensively, again, I, I think they've really learned to play without them and in you know finding a way to develop that chemistry, uh, even if there's some new guys that are in the mix. Yeah, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Packers are 4-0 and in first place all by themselves in the NFC North. I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But gear up for game day, folks. Open a Packers checking account from Associated Bank and score a $50 Packers Pro Shop gift card. Learn more at associatedbank.com backslash Packers. All right, well, the Chicago Bears took their first loss of the 2020 season 
on the chin. The Indianapolis Colts, all the talk about the Bears changing quarterbacks and Nick Foles, and I do think the Bears have the better quarterback playing right now. But I tell you what, and the Packers are going to see this Indianapolis Colts team at Lucas Oil Stadium in about a month and a half. That Colts defense is legit, Wes. They, they shut down the Minnesota Vikings earlier. They completely bottled up the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Colts and Phillip Rivers, kind of a, a new lease on life there in Indianapolis after, uh, after some rough times. And um, that, uh, that victory by Indianapolis has the Packers 4-0 and one of only, I'm, I'm sorry, has the Packers in first place, stopping the Bears from getting to 4-0. And the Packers are one of only two teams in the NFC at 4-0 along with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, first off, uh, when you talk about the Colts, I mean, the exciting thing about Indianapolis is I, I can't tell you how often, if you go back to Phillip Rivers' run with the Chargers, they really had a, a, a really strong impenetrable defense and it's early but I mean the numbers that the Colts are putting up now in contrast to the rest of the National Football League uh, it's going to be tough to knock them out of that spot here for a while they're going to need to have some pretty big performances against them in order I think they're giving up like 236 yards a game right now I mean and there's only maybe five teams that are keeping on defenses or offenses underneath 300 right now. So it's a really strong, formidable group that the Colts have assembled. And certainly uh, Phillip Rivers has shown uh, over the years, I mean, exactly what he can do when he's given, you know, not necessarily having to play from behind that he's able to control the game a little bit more. From the Bears' perspective, it was probably the performance you did not want to see. Uh, you make that move to Foles. I think that that was going to be something where if they could have gotten off on the right foot then, then you feel more confident about where this offense is headed. Instead, you start to get into this little area where you're not too quite certain who your quarterback is. You're not too certain what the direction of your offense is going to be. Uh, in that way, it was disconcerting for the Bears. The nice thing, though, for them is it appears like they're going to press forward the foals here. They're going to stick to their guns. And if he ends up being the guy, I, I think that that's the right move. You can't be doing this thing where you're going in and out every single week with a different quarterback. you got to give the other 10 guys on the offensive side of the ball in understanding who the leader is going to be. And Foles has shown in the past that he can be that guy. It's just tough for them right now, considering how well he played in a relief appearance for them, that they weren't able to get that same kind of strong start on the back end of it. Yeah, no question about it. I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty just as to where things are headed in uh, in Chicago on offense right now. Yeah, and to throw something else in there too, it isn't just all on the quarterback. There were a lot of years between if it was Matt Forte or you know they had a running back, they had a running game that they were really well established with. You know, as much as we talk about Trubisky here the last two three years, they just have not had a consistent running presence. And if you don't have that, uh, especially for that type of quarterback. Uh, it's going to make life a little bit more difficult. And every time, Mike, you can look at the Bears' stats, and I, it happens time and time again. I'll look at them in the middle of the third quarter, and their leading rusher is David Montgomery with eight carries for 18 yards or something. You have to be able to get that going if you're really going to truly be, I think, the offense that Matt Nagy wants them to be. Yeah, well, the times that Mitch Trubisky did play well, he was a lot of times the leading yeah. rusher for the Bears. A lot of scrambling, running around. He's a guy who can get out of the pocket, and he's been able to move the chains that way. Nick Foles, not that type of quarterback, and you need to have more efficiency in the in the passing game because you're not going to have those scramble plays to necessarily bail you out. Quickly before we go, both the Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions are one and three at the bottom of the NFC North. Just curious, your thoughts on where things are. The Vikings avoiding 0-4 by winning on the road at Houston, and then Houston's head coach Bill O'Brien gets fired after that game. The Detroit Lions, 
they just keep riding that roller coaster, Wes. They jump up 14-0 on the Saints. They give up five straight touchdowns, and they're down 35-14. And then they make a late rally but lose 35-29. to it's hard, to, it's hard to know what to make of, of what's going on in Detroit. Both Minnesota and Detroit heading in. Well, Detroit will be on the bye just like the Packers, but their next game, and Minnesota now playing Seattle this upcoming week, both those teams, Minnesota and Detroit, trying to avoid one and four yeah. um, after their next contest. Yeah, and everybody knows how difficult it is to make a playoff run after starting one and four. And, and I said it last week, Mike, I will echo myself again. I mean, Detroit is just in a position right now where I just don't know if there's a, there's a lot of guys on that team that at the NFL level just don't know how to win games. And I know that sounds like a somewhat of a cliche, but it's true. I mean, you got to know how to be able to pull these things out or at least how to protect it. And they're just working through so many different little issues right now. I think that that's been something that's really pulled them back here uh, in the beginning half of this season and obviously how they finished 2019. For the Vikings, it's what they had to do. I mean, it was one of those games. I'm not sure what the move would have been if they would have been 0-4, right, but right. you had to be able to pick up that victory. Yes, the Texans had played some tough teams, but like I said last week too, Mike, I mean, when you're 0-3, you're 0-3, and you got to find a way to get your, your momentum back, your mojo back. Uh, they were able to do that with it, but again, when you fall into that early hole, you have to keep climbing to pull yourself out. They grab the first rung. Can they get the second? Uh, that that's going to be the big challenge for them moving forward because you know the the one thing is that I think we're starting to learn a little bit it's going to have to be an offensively driven team this year for Minnesota if they're going to be successful if they're going to make a playoff run it's not going to be this traditional Mike Zimmer type Viking squad where okay the defense is going to give you a little bit of a you know a birdie on the hole you know how how do you come back after it and finish out your round so that that's going to be the biggest challenge offensively. Can they be that? Can you have that as the driver's seat right now for them? And right now they're one in three. I think, you know, it's shown that the, the formula they have right now is not working. Where can they adjust to it moving forward? Yeah. Well, with the Packers on their bye next weekend, Vikings and Seahawks is the primetime Sunday night football matchup. So a lot of Packers fans will have their eye on that. But for now, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. It is the bye week, but we will have plenty of content, lots of stories and videos and whatnot for you to check out. So for Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.